Gonna open up with a question. Y'all see how tall that whiteboard is? I'm not used to that. Who's a control freak in here? Everybody that just looked at the ground. Everybody that just looked down and didn't want to make eye contact with me. You're the control freaks. Okay. Um, and I'm going to bet uh, all of us in some way are more of a controlling than we like to believe we are. Okay. And I, I think I'm going to prove that to you, whether you realize it or not. By the way, everybody think, Buddy, we usually have a Maxwell house. Buddy hooked us up with some coffee straight out of Seattle this morning. Uh, don't get used to it. Don't get used to it. We'll be back to Folgers and Maxwell House as soon as that bag runs dry. Um, I read an article this week from a psychotherapist uh, who said this. He claimed that 25% of the people in his office did not desire personal change. They wanted to change somebody else. A quarter of the people that sit on his couch desired no change for themselves, but they wanted to figure out how to change somebody else. Okay. Um, Five signs that he gave to let us know that we struggle with control, okay? This is where those of you that elbowed your significant other, you're going you're gonna to begin to look at the ground as soon as we get into this. So number one reason that we know you're a control freak, uh, anxiety. Anxiety, trying to manage worry, and here's what happens. Anxiety is a lot of times based on trying to manage outside things, external situations. And when you can't control external situations, that creates anxiety within yourself. Okay, So that's number one reason uh, that you may realize. Because when you try to control somebody else and you realize you can't, it backfires on you and increases internal anxiety. Maybe one reason you know that you've got a little bit of a control freak in you. Number two, troubled relationships. Troubled relationships. Okay. Why does that know that we have control issues? Because trying to control other people almost always damages relationships and is the root of much, if not most, family dysfunction. Okay. One person wants to control another, you realize you can't. Now, not only are you anxious yourself, but there's a dysfunctional relationship within those that are apart. Number three, self-criticism. Somebody just say, geez, like, that was me. Uh, self-criticism, control freaks believe that they're 100% in control of their success. Therefore, you beat yourself up all the time when you lose. Like when things aren't going your way, it's your fault. You look in the mirror and say, I'm a loser, I'm an idiot, I, I can't do anything right. Why? Because I can't control the wins and losses in my life. I can't control my business, I can't control my influence, I can't control this, I can't control my wife, therefore it's my fault. And we, when we can't control it, we're very critical of ourselves. And then that flips around and we have harsh judgment of others. How do you know you're a control freak? You constantly judge other people for their flaws. Right? Believing because you believe success stems solely from your own effort when somebody else is a loser, <laughs> it's time to be critical. You know that you can do better. 
right? Like the struggles you have are your fault. All you got to do is control yourself. All you got to do is control it. So these have been very critical, judgmental of others. Uh, compassion is not your strong point at that point. Uh, last one that he gave is this, and then we're going to move on to the text. Uh, how do you know that you struggle with control? Wasted time and resources. How much time do you spend thinking about things you struggle to control? Right? How much time do you spend thinking about things that you have no control over? As if you wish you had control over them. And that time's gone. That, that, we, we have a finite amount of uh, mental energy and time and trying to control things we can't uh, drains potential productivity in your life because you wasted all that time and energy worrying about things you can't control. Five ways. Some of you looked at the floor when we started. The rest of you, <laughs> well, we can go ahead and look at the floor now. Okay. I feel like a loser now. That's okay. We're going to build you up today. Uh, we're going to build you up today. Uh, so now we ask again, who's a control freak? <laughs> we got one honest person in this room. One honest person in this room. So here's the deal. What if I said that properly understanding uh, the chapter of Acts chapter 2, if you properly understood we're in the book of Acts and this morning we find ourselves in chapter 2, what if I said that properly understanding this chapter would actually decrease anxiety, increase healthy relationships, increase compassion towards yourself and others, and decrease the time you're wasting? If we understood chapter 2 correctly, that's the claim I'm making for you this morning. Okay? Healthier relationships, more compassion, less anxiety, and more productive time. Sound good? Let's get it. Right? Let's get it. Uh, so, here we are, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. We're not going to make it very far. On the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost is how the, the, the chapter starts out. Um, understanding... So you got to hang with me through a little bit of history because I just promised you all these things, right? So go with me through this journey. On the day of Pentecost, if we're going to understand Pentecost, it begins with understanding the Passover. That's why we have communion set up for you this morning. If we're going to understand Pentecost, we have to understand Passover. And uh, Jesus and his disciples, just before his crucifixion, shared a meal by that very name. They called it the Passover. Uh, if you read in the gospel narratives, uh, you see Jesus sitting in a room. They're probably sitting on the rug, uh, and, and, and they got their feet out, and they're sharing this meal that we call Passover. He wanted to take, earnestly desired to take the Passover with them. So they're there, they share the meal, um, and as he sat around the room, Jesus took the meal, like a, a meal that they were very familiar with, okay? So here's what I'm going to do. If you would like to participate in this with us, I'm going to invite you. Should have made two stations. That would have cut down on traffic jam. That was my bad. That was my bad. Um, well, I'm going to invite you 
we've done this in a COVID-friendly manner uh, so that everybody's got an individual cup instead of breaking off a loaf of the same bread and drinking out of the same cup. We didn't want to do that to you this morning. Uh, but if you'd like to participate in this with us, we're going to lead you through uh, taking of communion according to uh, how it went down in the text, and we're going to build our message off of that. Okay? So if you'd like to come and grab uh, bread and the juice, then we invite you to do so at this time. He got that goofy, goofy grin on his face. Some of y'all dressed up more than you did in the other facility. <laughs> you just want a mini, but I don't know. Like we paint the walls, and you're like, oh, I got to dress up for church now. <laughs> What's wrong with y'all people? I did it too. I wore leather shoes instead of my New Balances. So. so as they sat around the room, imagine Jesus sitting around the room with his disciples and uh, he knows he's about to go to the cross and, 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 and they're clueless as ever. They don't know what's going on, but they're trying their best to hang with Jesus. And they sat around the room. Jesus took this meal that they had celebrated generation after generation after generation. This is not a new thing. Uh, Jesus had, had celebrated Passover with this meal with his disciples multiple times before this moment. But this time, this time, right before Jesus' resurrection, he was going to take this meal that was very familiar. would have included more than this. Uh, but he took this meal that was very familiar and he twisted it. He took something that they knew that they had received from generations beyond and he wanted to take that and twist its meaning so that it would never be the same. Okay? So that's what he does here. Holding on to the bread... Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking. This bread has always been about their slavery in Egypt. When Israel, the nation of Israel, uh, was in its origins, uh, things were going well, and then all of a sudden Egypt came, captured them. They spent 400 years in slavery in Egypt. And then a man named Moses comes on the scene, and God calls Moses. He said, I'm going to use you to set these people free from their slavery. And when I do, I'm going to send you to a land that I've promised will become yours. So... What happened was, um, it's always been about slavery, and the people of Egypt, when they were getting ready to leave Egypt in that moment when they were about to be set free from slavery, um, under Moses' leadership, he instructs everyone to sacrifice a lamb and to prepare a meal in their home. But they also had this instruction that they were to take the blood of that lamb and they were to paint over the door frame of their home, okay? So take some of the blood of that lamb. You're going to eat the lamb, but you're going to take the blood and you're going to paint the door frame of your home with it. And a plague of death is going to sweep over Egypt this night. A plague of death is sweeping over and killing the firstborn in every home, but passing over every home that is marked by the blood. 
That's where we get the name Passover. The plague of death is going to pass over every home that is marked by faith as they put the blood of the Lamb over their doors. So that's what they were thinking about when when the disciples are holding this bread. They're thinking about Egypt. They're thinking about slavery. Um, But Jesus takes the bread from the Passover meal and he tells the men, from now on this bread will not stir, stir memories of slavery in Egypt. From now on this bread will stir memories of my blood poured out for you. It's no longer about that lamb but it's about the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. He says, from now on, when you eat this bread, remember me. And he instructed them to eat. Jesus then takes the cup from the mill and he does a very similar thing. He says, from now on, when you hold this cup and you drink from this cup, it is not to stir memories of the blood of that lamb, but it is to stir memories of the blood that I am pouring out on your behalf. The blood that Jesus would pour out. When you drink this cup, it no longer stirs memories of that lamb, that night, that Passover. But let it remind you that the curse of death will pass over everyone marked by the blood of Jesus. Marked by the blood of Jesus. So when you drink of this cup, he says, I want you to remember me. Father, I thank you for the body and the blood that was given on our behalf. As Israel was set free from slavery, we are set free from slavery to sin, uh, slavery to unbelief, slavery to fear. Not because of, of that lamb in that home, but because of the lamb of the God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And his name is Jesus. So when his body was broken for us, he's broken that we may be healed. When his blood was poured out and he died, it was so that we might live. So Father, as we have taken this, let your spirit do the work to stir in us a memory of all that Jesus has accomplished by his body and his blood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Kids, we invite you to go back with Miss Jessica. Like I said, y'all make the most of the day. We're going to have more square footage for you next week as we continue to wrap up our building. Hmm. So 50 days after Israel leaves Egypt, back in the old Passover, remember Old Testament, we're talking about Moses. Let me write a little timeline for you. So this is the Passover. And then if we have this day plus 50 days, 50 days after the Passover, we find Moses on top of Mount Sinai receiving the law that was to be a guide for the people of God. Okay? 50 days later, here's Moses up here what are we? In, in its most simplest form, the, the law of God was more complex than this, but in its most simplest form, what are these two tablets? Ten Commandments. That was where Moses received that. 
Um, it's not all he received in that moment, but he did receive that. And so we're going to go with that just so you have a concrete thing to remember. Uh, so 50 days after the Passover, they leave Egypt. They're free. They're out in the wilderness. Moses goes up on the mountain. He's hearing from God. God gives him uh, writes with his own finger on these tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments, and that's how uh, God is going to be a guide for the people through his commands. Um, but by the time Jesus arrives on the scene, um, that day, 50 days after the Pentecost, I mean after the Passover, is known as Pentecost. Celebrating the receiving of the law on Mount Sinai. So we've got Passover, 50 days later we have Pentecost. Passover, commemorating when they were set free from slavery because of the blood of the Lamb. Pentecost, it's when they received the law of God as their instruction so God can be their guide. So for the Pentecost festivals, Jewish men were to come to Jerusalem from wherever they lived, um, which was widespread. By this point, they live in many nations. They're not just in the nation. They're all over the world. So at Pentecost, what happens is Jewish men from everywhere come to one city in Jerusalem, and they all gather to celebrate. Wherever they are, if they're able, they're supposed to come. And, and by the time you get all that, you have many cultures, many languages, many different-looking people. It's just it's like the whole world comes in on this one city in this one moment for this one festival. It's a really incredible thing to, uh, to think about the way that I've always imagined. Imagine uh, the entire city of Little Rock. We're talking about numbers here. The entire city of Little Rock gathering in the footprint of Benton. Okay? You've got 200,000 people and they bombard a city of 30,000. That's Pentecost. That's the scene. That's what it looked like. You think Third Thursday's busy. You should have seen Pentecost. It looked more like Spook City, right? Shelter to shelter. If your kid gets loose, you're going to freak out, right? That's what it looked like. Um, and that's what Luke's pointing us to when he says, on the day of Pentecost. He wants that mental image to be painted in your head. So, few things can be more troubling for a control freak than crowded spaces, right? If you're a control freak and you end up at Spook City, that is your worst nightmare, right? If you're a, Mark, <laughs> that's a perfect illustration. Me and Mark joke because Mark's a helicopter dad. So we <laughs> I just like, I don't know how that happened. Spirit of the Lord caused you to get up and go follow your boy. But we joke about that all the time. So this is not a new joke. Uh, but for a helicopter dad who wants to control this kid, you go out into these streets and have 10,000 people shoulder to shoulder. Kids are hungry for candy. There's climbing walls. There's all kinds of craziness. For a controlling parent, that is one of your scariest environments. Like Shelly's like, we got to put leashes on the kids if we're going back, right? Um, so that's what, paint, that's what Luke is painting. Uh, I got a friend, his name's Richard. He calls it his no-no square. He's like, this is my no-no square. Right? And he says this all the time. He says, don't go there, that's my no-no square. Like if, if Derek wants to get in my no-no square right here, my comfort space, right? Don't go there, Derek, that's my no-no square. The only person allowed right here is me and my wife. <laughs> Like, but when you go out and there's 10,000 people in these streets, it's like everybody's in your no-no square, 
right? And here's the deal. Some of you that have been with us from the beginning, uh, you're like, you came in here this morning, and you're like, dang, this feels good. Why does it feel good? Because nobody's in your no-no square, right? Like, Mike, you're so far away from me back there. And that allows you to be more comfortable because nobody's in your no-no square. In our former facility, like these poles were the end of it, and everybody's in your no-no square. But that's what we're dealing with here. This very day that Luke is recalling would have been a control freak's worst nightmare. Okay? Not only is that crowd there, but Jesus has just been crucified. Um, And then three days later, when all his disciples are heartbroken and fearful and they're just shaking in their boots. Uh, he, he rose from the dead and now we're excited, we're pumped up, Jesus is back, we're going to get things back to normal, the band's back together. And then 40 days later, he's gone again. They're like, what the heck, Jesus? <laughs> like, we got no control over this dude. Like, just sit still for a little while. <laughs> Hang out with us. He's like, no, i got to go back to the Father. And they're like, ah, oh, Screw this. Everything's messed up again. <laughs> and now we find the disciples hid up in a small room. It's like, we got it upstairs here, so imagine the disciples are upstairs in that unused office up there, and they're all just hiding out. Why? Because the same people that killed Jesus want to kill them. Their teacher's gone. They can't control anything, so we just got to hide out and wait on the promise that Jesus made that he was going to send his Holy Spirit to help us. So we're just going to we're just going to huddle up, guys, because we got no control. 200,000 people outside our door, most of them want to kill us. We're screwed. That's the situation on the day of Pentecost that Luke is telling us about. No, no square has disappeared, and the situation's out of control. But look at the next few verses with me. We're going to read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. That was that room I just told you about. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and were bewildered to hear their own language being spoken by all the believers. So here we go. Here's where good news starts. When everything seems out of control, Jesus... When everything seems out of control, Jesus' promises are fulfilled and his plan revealed. When everything seems out of control, sometimes that's when Jesus' promise is fulfilled and his plan is revealed. Ten days prior to the... uh, Ten days prior to what we just read in Acts chapter 2, there was a promise that Jesus had made. And Jesus told him, he said, the promise is this, that these men are going to take Jesus' message to the entire world. Right? So he's like, (laughs) 
you cowards, including you, Peter, who couldn't even stand up to a teenage girl. She said, aren't you with Jesus? He said, no, no, no. Like, you guys, you're going to kill it. You're going to take my message to the end of the world. And I'm like, okay. But you're going to do it empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus said, you're going to do this incredible thing, but right now you need to wait for a few days, and then my promise will be fulfilled. And on this day, when everything appeared to be out of control, God brought the end of the earth to their city and then gave them his spirit and empowered them to proclaim his message to the end of the world immediately. I'm like, what? Like, we're at this moment where these dudes are freaking out. Don't know what's going on. We've lost control. My no-no square disappeared. Everybody's up in our business. Most of them want to kill us. Things could not get more out of control, worse for us. We're freaking out. And then we realize the whole thing <laughs> was about revealing his plan when he fulfilled his promise. Because now the Holy Spirit empowered them, and we saw in those few verses that they were empowered to speak in languages that these people had never known. And let me tell you, when you speak in languages that you've never known, you get people's attention. Right? You get people's attention. Like, what? Like, aren't these guys from Galilee? Yet, here they are speaking my language, and I came from a thousand miles away. How is this possible? How is this possible? And that's what we see. Imagine us stepping out in the streets. We've got people from all over the world in our streets, and we just bust up out of there and start speaking their language and telling them good news about the kingdom of God. Like, okay, you got my attention now. You got my attention, and that's what we saw happen. So look at me with Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Um, he says this, Now the people of Israel, this is what he said, like when everybody's staring at him, like, actually they said, you're drunk. <laughs> like, you guys are just babbling, you're drunk. And I love Peter's, Peter's response to them saying we're drunk. He's like, it's only 9 in the morning. We wouldn't be drunk yet. We're not those people. Like, if we're going to be drunk, it'll be 9 p.m., not 9 a.m. So he's like, no, don't worry about the, the alcohol situation. We're, <laughs> this is the Holy Spirit, uh, not my Marlowe speaking. Uh, so, so here he is. This is his response. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus, the Nazarene, by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and you killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep its grip on Jesus. Death could not keep his grip on Jesus. Look. In verse 36, he says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced the hearts of those who were listening. They said to him in the other process, Brothers, what, what do we do? And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sin, turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you too will receive the Holy Spirit. And then those who believed were baptized, and they said there was about 3,000 people that came to faith that day. 3,000 people said, oh, crap. <laughs> we're going the wrong way. Uh, we got to turn around. What you're saying about Jesus, we get it now. 
we're on his team. We want to be on his team. And everything that was done before that uh, is cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Okay. So in conclusion, here's our conclusion. Here's how this all comes back around to be good news for you. In conclusion, Jesus... is our exodus. Exodus. He is the Passover lamb. Alright, so in the Old Testament when they were told to slaughter the lamb, put his blood on your doorpost, plague of death will pass over every home marked by the blood of the lamb. That's Jesus. Jesus is our exodus from slavery. He is the Passover lamb that was slain so that we could live and not die. Because the wages of sin is death, and every one of us has sinned. All of us sin and fall short of the glory of God, Paul tells us. So, that's kind of like, well, if that's true, then what the heck do we do? Well, there's a lamb who was slain so that death might pass over and you might receive life. He dies so that you can live. So we trust that. Jesus is our exodus. He is the Passover lamb. And then, come down here. That's an arrow. Here's another arrow. Uh, the Holy Spirit is our law. The Holy Spirit is our law. Written on the hearts of everyone who trusts in Jesus, he said. There's going to come a day, the Old Testament prophet said, when you won't even need a teacher. I'm going to take my law and write it on the hearts of every person. And that is fulfilled in Jesus. When you call upon the name of the Lord and he puts his spirit in you in the same way that he gave it to the disciples that day. He said he's writing his law on your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is our exodus. He is the Passover lamb. The spirit is our law written on the heart of every believer and you relinquish control to the lamb to see his promises fulfilled and his plan Revealed. You cannot function here and function here. It's impossible. Okay? But you're like, dude, anxiety sucks. <laughs> Can I get rid of some of that? <laughs> like, my relationships are jacked up. Can we work on those? Um... My biggest critic is myself. Everybody else is stupid. And I can't seem to get my days in order because I waste all my time worrying about junk I can't change. Why are we talking about Jesus? Because he's the one in control. When everything seemed most out of control, what we found was that God, the Father, had been working like there's 200,000 people outside my door that want to kill me. Yeah, the Father brought them here so that you could proclaim the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. What happened when this festival of Pentecost was over? All those people went home to the ends of the earth with the message of the kingdom of Jesus. Like you were filling your britches because you were terrified, but the Father was 100% in control orchestrating this whole thing, and then at the end of it, you're like, wow. Why was I anxious? 
because you want to control. But life doesn't work that way. If you want to decrease anxiety, increase healthy relationships, decrease your criticism, increase your compassion, and increase your productivity and your time because you're not wasting it on junk you can't change, it begins with saying, yes, Jesus. That's where it begins. I believe you're in control. I believe you're the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I want you to be my Passover Lamb. I want to trust you. I'm no longer going to live for myself. I'm going to live for you because you lived and died in my place. That's where it begins. He's the only one in control. Now, you do have the option of continuing to control your own... (laughs) You can go that route. I'm not going to argue with you. Um, But I do want to give you a warning that it's not going to work. It's just not. Because every time you think you have control, something happens and you realize that was false. So, all you got to do is say yes, please. What did that look like? He said, repent. That just means, <laughs> I was wrong. Next thing he says, turn to God. So turn from wherever you're going, and let's turn back to God and say, I want to go your way, not my way. And he says, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that's a promise made to every single person who puts their trust in Jesus, that, that you're not going to live your life alone, you're going to live it empowered by the Spirit. God's presence with you on a daily basis. And here's what you're going to have to do, because here's what I have to do. You're going to wake up every morning and you're going to think you're the Lord of your own day. And you're going to think you can control all the pieces of your life and you can keep your crap together on your own. And you're going to have to say, that's a lie. And you're going to have to rehearse it over and over in your mind that the day of Pentecost, when all seemed lost, many found Jesus. It's my job to keep my crap together. No, it's not. (laughs) That's a lie. Look in the mirror and say, you know what, on the most chaotic, out-of-control day in the church's history was one of the most fruitful days in the church's history. Like when the disciples had no control, God was 100% in control. It's like his whole plan was just working out. And they had to get to the point where they said, throw our hands up in there. We're not going to try to control this. And that's when the Father's promises and plans are revealed. Okay? So you're going to have to wake up tomorrow. If you want to say it in your head right now, I'm not in control, but God is. I'm going to trust that. You're going to have to wake up tomorrow morning and say the same thing. And then when you start to try to control your husband because he's not doing what you want to do, you're going to have to say it again. It's not my job to control my husband. That's the Holy Spirit. It's not my job. It's not my job. When you can't control your kids, that's not my job. It's not much. I instruct, but the Lord controls. I instruct, but the Lord controls. You got to rehearse it every day. Anybody want less anxiety? Anybody want healthier relationships? Anybody want to quit looking in the mirror and thinking you're the biggest loser in town? Yes, please. Starts with Jesus kind of ends with Jesus too. I'm going to pray for you. We've got some guys that are going to lead us in a time of worship. Um, maybe use that time of worship just to rehearse that in your head over and over and over and over. Maybe you follow the pattern of those that heard it that day and they, they, they confess vocally, hey, I'm on team Jesus and I want to show it by being baptized. If you've never done that, then 
we can have a, a tub full of water up here next week and we can celebrate that with you. Okay? So let me pray as Tyler, you guys.